Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert Hack. This season I am covering cases in Edinburgh, Scotland, and this is the penultimate episode in this beautifully haunted city. I have a fantastic guest for you next week, so make sure you are subscribed and stay tuned for that because you don't want to miss out. Last week, I initiated a drinking game that I believe I'm going to continue on for at least the rest of Edinburgh, if not beyond. So I implore you to pour yourself a nice whiskey on the rocks, a glass of wine, or a great Scottish beer, and every time you hear a repeated name, take a drink. Now, I'm not talking, I will be talking a lot about King James VI this episode, so every time I say King James VI, you don't have to take a drink. But there might be more than one James going on, so take a shot. I'm also going to keep the name Margaret in the mix, so anytime you hear the name Margaret, also take a drink. And I'll remind you throughout the episode, but tonight, this episode is all about witches. Here on Haunted Hometowns, we love to talk about witches. I'll be jumping around to different spots in Edinburgh as also, and also different spots in Scotland since witches and wizards ran rampant. Around 4,000 people were accused of witchcraft in Scotland from the 16th century to the 18th century. And I am very curious about what their thoughts on movies like Harry Potter would be, since it's directly linked to Edinburgh forever. And a lot of these witches were, well, we'll get into it. But Scotland passed the Witchcraft Act of 1563 in an act of holiness, because Why else do we pass laws? Holiness. The government and the church wanted to force godliness and thought that the country would suffer if anyone was in league with the devil. Satanic panic. It's always been around. It always will be around. The act stated that both the practice of witchcraft and consulting with witches and the devil were capital offenses. So you can't do... It's just hard to keep track of what you can and can't do under the church and the government since they're super intertwined at this point. 1563. You better stay home and read your Bible. And that's it. Because otherwise, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of horror. I've already talked about two witchcraft cases on this season. 
one being the Wizard of West Bow, and the other I briefly, briefly talked about King James VI of Scotland, believing witches cursed his ship when he was sailing back to Scotland. That all began in 1589, a little over 20 years, 25, 26 years, and it truly started the witchcraft craze. Before King James VI and before the Witchcraft Act of 1563, people had been accused of witchcraft. During the medieval times specifically, people truly believed in magic. However, they seemed to be more methodical about it. If there wasn't hard proof of witchcraft, you weren't very likely to be found guilty at trial back in the day during medieval times. One well-known case is of John Stuart, the Earl of Mar. He was the youngest surviving son of King James II, and after his older brother became king, King James III, drink. That's two drinks. That's three different Jameses, even though they're all related. Three different Jameses. Two shots. So after his older brother became king, John was accused of sorcery, apparently to attack his brother, a.k.a. the king. He was imprisoned at Craig Miller Castle in Edinburgh in 1479, and later that year died under very suspicious circumstances. Historians pretty much believe that his brother, King James III, ordered for his death, generally speaking, and the church and the government at the time didn't really take witchcraft seriously and would only try someone for witchcraft if bodily injury was present. I don't think King James III had any bodily injury, but he is the king. He basically does what he wants. And it's kind of sad that like so many people went against their siblings at this point or family members in general. It's like, talk it out. Get a drink together. Even argue about it. But you don't have to kill them. Come on now. Also back then, like kings and queens and such, they became in charge at a far too young age. Like some of these people are becoming kings at like 16 years old. And that, I don't trust a 16 year old at all with anything important. They can't even turn their homework in on time. And you want them to help rule a country? I don't think so. I don't think so. So after the Scottish Witchcraft Act of 1563 was in place, cases began to trickle in. Trickle. But witchcraft wasn't truly taken seriously until the North Berkwick Witch Trials in 1590. And this is the whole James VI sailing home situation that I talked about a few episodes ago. It all started when King James VI, I think it was after he got married. Yeah, it was after he got married to Anne of Denmark in Copenhagen. And on their return trip to Edinburgh, they experienced incredibly rough weather, as a lot of ships do when sailing. It was so bad the ship almost capsized, killing the king and queen. 
and they had to essentially make a stop in Norway to regroup because of the storm. And there is where the discussion about witchcraft causing the storm was brewed up. Get it brewed up. Germany was going through its own witch trials, witch trials of Trier, I believe, where 368 people were executed in the city alone. Trier, the city of Trier, I believe is how you pronounce it. It's thought to be the largest mass execution in Europe during peacetime. During peacetime. The number is also thought to be larger since people living outside of the city of Trier were also murdered, but they don't really count them. The news of this 1581 to 1593 trial spread across Europe and it made King James VI of Scotland very suspicious of his own country. While the king and queen were hearing news of this, the admiral of their fleet was arguing with the treasurer about the state of the ship and ships that he was in charge of. Essentially, the ship that the king and queen sailed on. Logical. That makes sense. Yes, it was very bad weather, but we also need to make sure that the ship the king and queen of Scotland are sailing on is in good form. If the ships weren't prepared to take on a storm, then why were they bringing, being used for a king and queen, essentially is what they're talking about. I guarantee he was fired. However, one of the higher-up officials that was accused of supplying faulty ships got away with it because his wife was accused of witchcraft and conjuring up the storms to attack the king and queen. Thus, the Copenhagen witch trials began in July 1590. Anne Coldings was accused, and when she was under pressure, which I believe is a soft way of saying tortured, she gave five names of other women who all confessed to sorcery and conjuring up the storms to attack the queen. Also, they said they sent little devils to crawl up the side of the ship, I don't know what these devils were going to do, but they're there. And two of the women were burned as witches because of this. And this is when King James VI, Mary Queen of Scots' only son, set up his own witch trials and witch hunt in Edinburgh when he arrived back home to Scotland. He hired people to track down witches that fled to England, calling them the, quote, worst sort of witches, unquote. But honestly, who wouldn't run for their life if they knew someone was coming for them, accusing them of nonsense? I think I would run for my life as well. Like, if you think your life is in danger, especially from the government, you run, girl. Girl, you gotta run. And you run early. You don't wait until they're knocking on your door and you sneak out the back. You gotta beat them to the punch. Run a week ahead. My take is that if you you can always come back if they're wrong or if you were wrong. Like, if you run and the government's actually like, no, we're not after you. We just want information. It's like, oh, okay, I can come back. I'll give you information. That's fine. 
or when things settle down, like you run and then they're like, eh, we don't believe in witches anymore. It's like, okay, then I can go back. But it's definitely safer to spend some time in another country while you can. Saying someone who's never left the country yet. Though I am talking about going to Italy over the summer with a few of my friends. Bopping around in Italy. I'm very excited. I hope it all comes together. Stay tuned. So I'm going to read you some of the torture these people went through. So get ready. Because I even cringed at a couple of these. It made me think of that time I forced my mom brother to go to the medieval torture museum with me. And there were definitely some horrible scenes and instruments used. But the museum doesn't feel scary or anything. I think because the mannequins they used show some of the instruments being used. But they look a bit comical. Like the people look very like paper mache like. But I truly don't know how other people could torture people like that. They must have hired true psychopaths. But there's also this weird. It's always weird to me thinking about like public stoning and public humiliation and how common it was. Because if I saw that, I'd be like, no, what is wrong with everyone? Even like this might be controversial, but. Even watching the Ted Bundy documentary, I believe it's on Netflix. And at the end, all these people are outside his prison right before he is executed. And they're all telling him to burn and they all have t-shirts on and they're like cheering. And it's this huge thing. And I'm like, yeah, he was a horrible person. But to wear a t-shirt that's like burn this human to death, I just... It doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't sit right with me. Anyway, more than 100 people were arrested for witchcraft in the North Berkwick trials alone, claiming they met with the devil or made a pact with the devil. Some claimed they tried to poison the king. Others said they tried to sink his ship. King James VI seems extra paranoid at this point, and I don't necessarily blame him. I talked about what his parents went through on the podcast a few episodes ago. So I can only imagine that he was constantly looking over his shoulder, being king and all. And his mom was executed and his dad was murdered. It was a whole thing. In Edinburgh, most of the people arrested and accused were tortured in the old toll booth where they experienced anything from having all your hair shaved off, which some people I think would be thrilled about, others not so much, being pricked with a needle until they found a spot where they couldn't draw blood, and I'll get into that a little bit later. They were fastened to a wall with a metal collar, forced to wear a bridle, and this device is similar to like the bridles horses wear so humans have like a cage over their head and they have something shoved in their mouth so they couldn't talk and it was used for people who were accused of witchcraft but it was to make sure they couldn't you know conjure up spells but also was used for a lot of people who were just like town gossipers and stuff like that they were sleep deprived there was starvation stranglings fingernails 
forcibly removed than iron pins inserted. That was the one that made me cringe. Reading your fingernails being forcibly removed and then iron pins inserted where they removed the nail. Ugh. Pillywinks, which is a tool that crushes your fingers and toes. The boot, which I've talked about before, but that is like a boot. It's a steel boot that's fitted onto your legs, and then they slowly crank it tighter and tighter until you're, like, crushing your legs. Uh, Searching, where they would search your entire body for a witch's mark. Could be a birthmark, could be a mole. Whatever they wanted to say was a witch's mark. The bones cracking thing. So I was watching this TV show, docu-series, about people being kidnapped. And it was this episode where this teenage boy woke up in the middle of the night being carried by this man. He didn't know him. And then this man brought him back to his house. And he just started breaking this teenage boy's legs because he liked the sound of bones cracking. Isn't that insane? It gave me, like, most docuseries I watch about true crime and stuff doesn't get to me anymore because I watch so much of it, but that one specifically, the way he would talk about, like, jumping on this kid's legs just to hear them break, I felt so bad for this kid. I mean, the... The nice thing about this TV show is that they all survive because they all tell their own story. So you know he survives, but it was a lot. Him talking about it was a lot. Anyway, witches. After the torture, they all pretty much confess to witchcraft because you're being tortured. And when you confess to witchcraft, then you're burned. Well, usually you were strangled to death and then your body was burned and in edinburgh you were burned on castle hill right in front of edinburgh castle so that was so we start with north berwick trials and that is like 1589 1590 then we move into the great scottish witch hunt of 1597 And honestly, calling it the Great makes it sound like an adventure, like the Great Easter Egg Hunt, the Great Honey Pot Robbery, the Great Train Robbery. Sounds exciting, right? The Great Scottish Witch Hunt of 1597, because there are more. This one is probably the least documented witch trials in Scotland because it was more of a nationwide situation, and there weren't a lot of regulations about what what the government and what towns specifically were allowed and not allowed to do when accusing a person of witchcraft and after they confessed to witchcraft. No one really knows for sure what the catalyst for the accusations were, but some theorize that it could have been due to famine, plague, and of course political conflict between church and state. Also, King James VI decided to do some light writing spurred on by a 1596 Edinburgh witch trial 
when Christian Stewart was accused of bewitching Patrick Ruthven to death. So that trial, the king decided to focus a lot of his energy on that trial and witchcraft in general and published a book the following year called Demonology. It's basically a dissertation on necromancy and the relationship between various divination and black magic methods, mainly written in response to a Reginald Scott book called The Discovery of Witchcraft, where he basically says illusionists fooled the public and that the prosecution of those accused of witchcraft was immoral and irrational and not Christian-like. And if you want to make a Christian mad, tell them they're not acting Christian-like, especially Catholics. Anyway, James VI wrote his demonology book in response, and William Shakespeare took took inspiration from King James VI for his play Macbeth, which in my opinion, is William Shakespeare's best play. Macbeth is so fucking good. Not that this has anything to do with anything, but I just learned that King James VI published his own version of the Bible, the Holy Bible to be exact, you know, the motherfucking Bible. And how do we know we're reading the original Bible, the original shit that was supposed to be in the Bible? You don't. Because there are too many fucking versions of that thing. That made up book. Okay, I'm getting off track. Sorry. I'm. It's just wild that King James VI was able to publish his own Bible and a bunch of other people started reading it as like the thing, the Bible. Which is fine. But then how are you going to hate on other religions for having their own shit? It's like, fine, read your Bible, but why are you pressuring me to read that one when I have this one over here? Nobody's is correct. No one's is the original. Okay, moving on. The publication of Demonology by King James VI also may have spurred another round of witch trials throughout Scotland, where about 200 people were executed for witchcraft during the Great Scottish Witch Hunt of 1597. 200 people. The most infamous case during this hunt was of Margaret Atkins. Take a shot. She was accused of witchcraft and tortured, of course. And to save herself, she told the authorities that she could or that she would tell them who else was a witch in return for her freedom. They agreed. You know, they're lying, but they agreed to her. They said to her face, sure, you tell us more witches, we'll let you go. Never trust the police. Never trust them. They agreed, and Margaret led them across Scotland, implicating many people as witches. Those people would be tried and executed, and it became such a problem that Margaret's hunt was paused by the government because she was, like, accusing too many people. So the government paused it and looked further into her claims and they decided that a lot of her claims weren't, didn't really have a basis, didn't have a leg to stand on. So they basically ended the witch hunt in August 1597. King James VI 
was having a hard time understanding how there could be so many witches living in Scotland without him knowing. And the fact that many of these people being accused weren't horrible people. They were upstanding people in society. And he was just struggling with that. Why? Because they're not witches. They were well-respected members of society, of course. However, that didn't stop them from being executed. And even though she, Margaret, gave them more people's names, they still executed Margaret. And that, and with that, the Great Witch Hunt of 97 came to an end in October 1597. A quick sidestep, because I love taking sidesteps and tangents. After doing research about King James VI, and who's also the same person as King James the first of England, I have discovered that he was queer and historians are almost 100% sure he was in a relationship with George Villiers, who was the Duke of Buckingham. And there are public statements from the King discussing his closeness with George. King James the sixth literally said, quote, you may be sure that I love the Earl of Buckingham more than anyone else, unquote. And when restoration was being completed on one of his palaces, they discovered, the people doing the restorations, a secret passage that led from the king's bedchambers to George's. So he was gay, a fun tangent for those who didn't learn that in school or cannot learn that in school because of laws in place in the United States these days. But if you want to look more into that, there's the internet. Back to witches. Moving on to the Great Scottish Witch Hunt of 1628 to 1631. King James VI at this point is dead. He died in 1625, and his second oldest son, Charles I, took over as King of Scotland, King of England, and King of Ireland. The eldest son, Henry, died in 1612 from an illness, which is why the second oldest, Charles, took over. This is kind of another shitty thing about, you know, the 17th century, 16th century, etc., These people are being hunted and accused of witchcraft, which we all know isn't really a thing. And life back then was hard enough. Just surviving day to day in the 15-1600s was so fucking difficult. Also, the entire country of Scotland only had around 800,000 people in 1600. And you're going around killing a bunch of them all on lies. It's wild. By the time King Charles I reigned, the belief in witch and witchcraft began to dwindle. Even King Charles I didn't pay too much attention to it. He honestly had three countries to run, and he was under a lot of pressure because he married a woman from France who was Roman Catholic, and that was a huge no-no because he was born and raised Protestant, so as you can imagine, it started a lot of drama. There weren't many people listed during this time for witchcraft, like accused people, but there were 17 women accused and tried 
However, it's not clear if they were executed or if they named others after being tortured. With the Catholic and Protestant clashing, people were accusing others of witchcraft just to have stature in the community, whether it be a Catholic accusing a Protestant or vice versa. But I don't have any specific real examples from this Scot- great Scottish witch hunt. So we're going to move on to the great Scottish witch hunt of 1649 through 1650. This is where the rate of accused and executed picks up. Little changes to the original Witchcraft Act had been made from 1563 to 1603, but they made a significant change in 1649, ultimately condemning consulters of the devil and familiar spirits to death. So if you were talking to the devil, you were a witch. But you, if you were also talking to like spirits that were familiar with the devil or friends of the devil or acquaintances of the devil, you're also going to be killed. To me, it doesn't seem much different from what has already been going on thus far. But maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just semantics. It just seems like people were still being executed for nothing. This did spur witch hunting, especially when mixed with a poor harvest from a little ice age. And, of course, disease from the many outbreaks of the bubonic plague. Because, remember, people didn't understand science. So they all fucking blamed witches. Also, as I mentioned, King Charles I didn't really pursue witchcraft as his father did, but in 1648, he was in a civil war with Parliament. King Charles I was ruling England, Scotland, and Ireland, and when he rose to power, he was forced to marry. He ended up marrying Henrietta Maria from France, who was Catholic, which directly went against Parliament, and Charles' upbringing being Presbyterian. It was such a huge conflict. Charles and Charles basically said, fuck you, to Parliament, and ruled without them, which then led to the Civil War, where Charles lost and was convicted of treason. He was beheaded early 1649. This gave religious power... This gave religious powers room to push their agenda and they basically said they still want a more godly country and therefore we will hunt down every last witch and devil worshiper and kill him those are all my words but that's essentially what was going on and parliament even created a committee to deal with accusations of witchcraft and took a proactive role in the hunts parliament took an active role in the hunts. A full-on committee to deal with this. So some examples during this bout was a brewer who was accused of using magic to enhance his beer. Which is so funny to me. Like, people stay mad jealous. If your beer sucks, do better. Instead of accusing people of using magic to make theirs better. 
How about that? But apparently the man successfully defended himself. He probably just showed the court how to make beer and why his was so much better than his competitors. I'm sure he just had better wheat or whatever he was using to make his beer. But 612 people were accused during this round and around half were executed for witchcraft. Most of the people accused were low status, of course, and women, of course. And that's not to say men and upper status women weren't accused. Margaret Henderson, take another shot, was upper class when she was accused by a minister, so she fled. Good for her. Basically because at this point people knew what being accused really meant. It meant you were going to get executed. However, Margaret Henderson was tracked down by the authorities and it's thought that she died of suicide so she didn't have to go through being tortured, strangled, burned. This is just to say that we have loose numbers when it comes to how many were executed and even accused. I'm sure there are more people like Margaret who rather take their own life than go through torture and being hanged or even forced to give other people up, even though, you know, they're not witches. So up until now, using the devil as a scapegoat was rare, but many women confessed to having a pact with the devil, denouncing their baptism, and or having sex with the devil during this great Scottish witch hunt. Witchcraft was perceived as a real threat all over the world at one time or another, and everyone had their own way of torture to get a confession. Of course, some of those methods overlapped, but Scotland was specifically known for pricking. They even had professional prickers who would stick a subject a suspected witch, with a needle, pin, or bobkin all over their body until they found the witch's mark. In some places, it uh, witch's mark was a birthmark, mole, scar, etc. But here, they were invisible, and the only way to find the witch's mark was to constantly stick someone until they found a spot that wouldn't bleed. One professional pricker made six pounds per witch and four pounds for food and drinks, which is a lot of fucking money at that time. There was another professional pricker who made 20 shillings per witch, but was found out to be killing the women. So there's another incidence of like, yes, we have so many people, like 600 people that were executed, etc., for being witchcraft, for being witches and using witchcraft. But that's not counting the many people who died of suicide. It's not counting the many people who were murdered for murdered while being tortured. Like these women were. This guy that was a pricker is said to have murdered 220 women. 
220 women. That's horrific. Like, he must be one of the most infamous serial killers ever. And I don't even know his name. He was executed for killing all these women while pricking. But still, what the fuck? Eventually, there was a committee of estates in Scotland. They were taking over while Scottish Parliament wasn't around, which was during the whole, like, King Charles I situation. They passed an act in 1649 that prevented torture in witchcraft cases. However, like many situations, that was never implemented. One major scenario being six witches were whipped, their feet and heads burnt with a candle while they were strung up by their thumbs with their hands tied behind their back. It's horrible. In 1650, the Committee of Estates started to implement changes in witchcraft cases, most notably abandoning local trials. So the hunt died down. And the last great Scottish witch hunt was from 1661 to 1662. Historians have little information about these 16 months. Over 600 people were accused, but the number of executions were lost because so many different courts were trying people for witchcraft. It's thought to be in the hundreds, of course, but the most infamous case is of Isabel Gaudi in 1662. Minister Harry Forbes accused her and others of witchcraft, during which Isabel's first confession, she said she met with the devil in a church at night where she renounced her baptism and the devil marked her shoulder, then drank from it, drank her blood from it. She would meet with him several times and had sex with him on occasion, describing the devil as cold with cloven feet. She would place a broom beside her husband in bed while she snuck out to meet with the devil. So he knew, I'm assuming, as a way to trick her husband that she's still in bed but also it's like if he rolled over he would just feel a broom more women joined her and they created a coven and I do think this is the first time a coven the word coven is used to describe a group of witches but one of those women being Margaret Brody drink that's three Margaret's in this episode They would dance all night, drink the best, eat the best, and fly on magical horses where... (laughs) I love that they're flying on magical horses, not brooms. The broom's in the bed, but they're flying on magical horses with the devil. I love it. That imagery is great. They're flying on magical horses where they'd enter people's houses through their windows They would make dolls of people and torture them. The coven would transform into animals. 
Basically, she described almost everything we know now as a witch. Her second confession, she got more into detail about the spirits and other witches at these coven meetings. She also spoke 27 different enchantments that she would use with the coven. And honestly, Isabel is really creating such a wonderful, magical world that I would love to visit. Like, let me get to writing this script because she also talked about these arrows created by elf boys. The devil would then curse the arrows and the witches would then throw the arrows at whomever they would want to die. And if the arrow stuck you, you would just immediately die regardless of the armor you wore. Her third interrogation, she went into more detail talking about how one time the devil sent her on an errand disguised as a rabbit. On that journey, she was chased by a pack of dogs as a bunny, and she was bitten by one of the dogs while she's a bunny. And when she transformed back into a human, she could still see the bite marks. She talked about more spells, more sex with the devil and his genitalia. More people the devil wanted the witches to kill. And on her final confession, which happened in May 1662, that confession was just to solidify what she previously had stated. And after that, 41 people were arrested because of Isabel's statements. 41 people. And what happened to Isabel is lost to history. She had a trial, but there is zero documentation that describes her being executed, jailed, or freed. So most historians believe she was executed and burned as most convicted witches were at this point. Some believe she was released because of mental instability, but I don't really see that happening. I think that thought is kind of silly. Like... Let's release this person because they gave so much detail that they couldn't possibly be telling the truth. Like, she must have been mentally ill. But all these other people who, you know, are vague about witchcraft because they aren't witches are all murdered. Like, let's pick a lane. Either all these women were forced to make it up or they were all forced to tell the truth. You can't have it both ways. Witch hunting died down significantly because a focus on war, ending torture, moving where trials were had, held, etc. The last person publicly executed in Scotland for witchcraft was Janet Horn in 1727. In 1736, Scotland's Witchcraft Act was repealed and a new act put in place. This act said if you pretended to be a witch, you could serve up to a year in prison. And the last person arrested for pretending witchcraft was in 1944. 
during World War II, a ship was sunk by a German U-boat. However, to keep morale high during the war, the government didn't release that information. Medium Helen Duncan said she met with a sailor that died on that ship. And authorities were nervous that she would also find out about the secret D-Day landing. So she was sentenced to nine months in jail. I don't know if that was a great way of handling that situation. But sure, okay. And with that, let's take a quick break. Grab your witch's book, cast a calming spell. Light a few candles. Pour yourself a second, third, fourth glass of wine. We're all about self-care here. And I will be right back. Okay, so Edinburgh, being the capital, played a huge hand in all of the witch hunting going on in the 16th and 17th centuries. You know, even though it's the great hunt or the great Scottish witch hunt of whatever, Edinburgh being the castle, being the castle, Edinburgh Castle we'll talk about next week, but Edinburgh being the capital played a huge part in all of this. Many of the trials were held in Edinburgh, as well as the executions. There is a memorial in Edinburgh called the Witches' Well that marks where hundreds of accused witches were killed. The well is a small fountain that is built onto Edinburgh Castle. I don't know if it's technically part of Edinburgh Castle. It It's like the front gates, almost. Like, if you walk up to the front gates of Edinburgh Castle and look to the side, you'll see a little well with flowers in it. It's really, you'll miss it. If you're not looking for it, you'll walk right by it. Basically, where the road leading into the castle meets with the castle's outer wall. So when you're walking from the Royal Mile to Edinburgh Castle, take a look to the side. You'll see a little fountain. The back part has two heads engraved with a snake. And I believe the snake used to spout water. The bowl contains an image of foxglove, which is a plant used for medicinal purposes. But if the dosage isn't correct, you could be poisoned. It's poisonous, I believe. The god and goddess of medicine and health are intertwined with another snake. I'm going to let you decide what the messaging is on this. There's also hands holding a bowl on one side and evil eyes on the other. I don't really know what it's all trying to say. It's up to you. But this is the spot where hundreds, if not more, were burned and never buried. 
because remember, if you were executed, you were horrible and you don't deserve a religious burial. Just a few feet away from the well is the restaurant, The Witchery, which is one of the most haunted restaurants slash hotels in Edinburgh. I believe it has nine suites above the restaurant. Don't quote me on that, but I believe nine. Of course, ghosts executed for being witches haunt the area. But witches weren't the only ones executed in front of the castle. Jane Douglas was executed in 1537 for allegedly plotting to kill King James V. Take a drink. That's a different James. She haunts the area as well. Miss Jane. One night after a couple were married in Edinburgh Castle, which seems like a great place to get married, to be honest. They spent a couple nights at the witchery since it's so close to the castle they could probably walk there. They probably did walk there after their marriage. The second night they were in the witchery, this man's wife went to bed while he was making them tea. And because they're sweets, the kitchen, there's like a full kitchen to my understanding and it's separate from the bedroom almost like a mini apartments kind of in the kitchen he could hear scratching down the hall so he grabbed his tea and when he checked it out there was a large irish wolfhound in the hallway and they're among the largest of all breeds of dogs like they're huge seeing this dog he froze And the dog bolted at the man. He jumped as the dog reached him in three seconds. The tea went everywhere, but the dog had vanished. And that's just one of many ghost stories that come from the witchery. Another witch-related area in Edinburgh is Norlock. Today you may know it as Prince's Garden. The lock was created in 1460 as a natural defense for Edinburgh and the castle. It was never drinking water. So as time went on and Edinburgh got dirtier and more and more people tried to squeeze within those city limits, those city walls, the lock was naturally contaminated. Remember I talked about in the first episode, Mary King's clothes, how everybody would just toss their urine and waste down the sloped street it would all pour into norlock it was eventually drained in the 1700s to make way for the north bridge and then eventually used for the location of the gardens however it is thought that back in the 15th and 16th hundreds The lock was used as torture for suspected witches. They would either tie someone to a chair, an accused witch to a chair, and dunk them in the water until they confessed, sometimes leaving them underwater for minutes. 
And I don't know if y'all have tried to see how long you can hold your breath. I've done it with the movie Would You Rather with Britney Snow, which is a great thriller horror movie. There's a scene where it's Would You Rather, like, not to spoil anything, but it's like, would you rather, like, stab the person to your left or, like, hold your breath in a bucket of water for two minutes? She chose the water, and so during that movie, it's fun to, like, hold your breath with her. And can you do two minutes? Try it. But if you try it, I take no responsibility in you passing out or whatever happens to you. Okay. Instead of them tying them to the chair and then holding them underwater for a certain amount of time, it's more likely, for witches at least, that the government would toss an accused person into the lock, tied to a rope, and if the person sank in the lock, they were innocent and were not a witch. However, if they floated, they were guilty, and then they were burned to death. Either way, you die. Either you sink and you die, but everyone's like, oh, she wasn't a witch. Good for her. But you're dead. Or you float and they're like, oh, a fucking witch. We got to kill her. And then they strangle and burn you. So either way, you die. But it's so annoying. Like, who thought of that? And... Who said, yes, that's a great idea. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. There are definitely ghosts wandering Prince's garden because of that. But they may also be from a couple of skeletons found in a large coffin at the bottom of Norlock. It's thought to be a man named George Sinclair who was found guilty of incest with his two sisters in 1627. They were all charged and sentenced to drowning in Norlock. The younger sister was set free. We don't know why. Maybe they thought she was too young to know what her brother was doing. Historians aren't quite sure. But the older sister and George were placed in a coffin with holes and dumped into Norlock, where they died and lived for a very long time. So that is some spots to check out in Edinburgh and Scotland related to witches I thank you all for listening this week. I truly appreciate it. I would love to create more content for y'all. So the more you like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, the better it gets. Also, check out the socials for guest info. I have, again, I have another great guest coming to you next week for the Edinburgh finale. Check out socials for photos and upcoming news. Like what next city I will be covering in next season. And to start next season off, I will be 
posting a recent interview I did for the podcast. So you better all stay tuned and check in for that. I would love to read your paranormal experiences on the podcast. So email them to hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com or DM the socials. I say personal paranormal experience. I would love that if you have them. If you don't, ask your parents, ask your grandparents, ask your coworkers, your friends, your roommates, the lunch lady, your bus driver, ask whomever. I'm sure someone has a paranormal experience to share, and then you can email it to me, hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com, so I can read it on the podcast for everyone. Could be anything from waking up on another planet light years away to a tiny lizard breathing fire. Let me know, and I'll meet y'all back here in a week for the Edinburgh finale, because everyone loves a ghost story. The music is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar and follow his music career anywhere you stream music. T H A I R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at pida.pida.munoz. That's M U N O Z. I got my information from Wikipedia. Edinburgh News, Spooky Scotland, History.com, Atlas Obscura, University of Edinburgh, NBCNews.com, and my macabre road trip.